think it was about two years ago that uh, we were looking for a children's pastor and had been looking for a children's pastor for quite a while. We went, I think, eight months uh, without a children's pastor. And I, I had gotten uh, several resumes, including a resume from this 17-year-old kid who lived in Columbus, basically. I was like, you know, 17 years old and he lives in Columbus. Come on. And I mean, you know, I, I looked into him and, uh, you know, my son had had some contact with him at camp and I knew some people that knew him, but I just didn't think, you know, I, I just didn't think we could do it. I, you know, he's a kid, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We put up a sign on our, uh, on our uh, kitchen that said you had to be 18 or older to go into the kitchen. And we had children, we had a pastor on staff who I had to make a waiver for. <laughs> he was only 17 when he came to work with us. Well, what a blessing Gage was to us and is to us still today. And what I love most about him is his heart for the Lord. He is 100% sold out for God. He's going to be in ministry no matter what it takes. Uh, he turns 18 while he's working with us and gets an assignment to the mission field. And uh, are you about to be 19? Are you still 18? Huh? Jeez, how long ago is this? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Turned 18 while he was with us, then turned 19 in Africa. And, and he's still only 19 now. He'll be 20 next month. But he's still a teenager. And folks, has done so much for the Lord. Spent a year on a mission field. Missionaries are my heroes. I told you last week about how much I love comforts in America. You know, my television set and my king-size waterbed and golf. And you don't have a lot of that in Africa. In the places where he's working with the people that he's working with. And he's not even worried. Do I look at him? Does he look like he's missing any of that kind of stuff? <laughs> Calling of the Lord leads us to do what we think that is humanly impossible, what we might think is humanly impossible when he can take a young man with, a, with the uh, potential that this young man has and uh, lead him to dedicate his entire life to telling the world about Jesus. And that's what I think of missionaries. And that's what I think of Gage. He's not actually an officially appointed missionary yet. He goes off on, I think it's going to be another MAPS assignment, or you think it's going to be a missionary associate, MA. Uh, but he will eventually become a, a, a full missionary with the Assemblies of God, and we're a part of that. And I'm so thankful that God sent him here on the recommendation of our district superintendent, by the way. Uh, that's, he said, Have you, why not Gage? I was like, well, you're recommending? I'll, you know, I'll take him. And what a great job he's done for us and he's doing for the Lord. Gage, come and just minister and do whatever the Lord leads you to do. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. How's everyone doing today? Good? Okay. Let's see. So this is home to me. I'm so excited to be back with y'all. Uh, let's see, where'd you go? Technology does weird things. So I'm so excited that Pastor Jeff asked me to come back and be with y'all today. I'm so excited to be here with y'all. And my goal today is to share about my trip to Africa, uh, to Mali, to share what I learned and also share some stories and then also what the next season of my ministry will look like. So in the past year while I was in Mali, God started to awaken a childhood dream of mine. For years, I'd always thought that I would be a missionary to deaf people, but for some reason, I didn't think deaf people were in Africa. So I learned sign language and then never did anything with it, 
But while I was in Africa, I learned that there were 40 to 70,000 deaf people in Mali, and there are currently no missionaries reaching them, and that there are few missionaries in Africa reaching deaf people. So I was able to travel to a village about five hours out of Bamako, which is the capital city, and I got to meet a 10-year-old boy who they called Bobo, which means deaf person. No one actually knew his real name. Uh, later on, I was able to meet his parents and find out his real name was Yaya, not too far off. But <laughs> and uh, he is completely uh, unable to communicate. He has no uh, knowledge of sign language or anything. So it was really sad to see him, but when he saw that I knew sign language, something in his face lit up, and the missionaries that are there said that they've never seen him smile like that. And so it was really cool getting to teach him a few little signs for like sit and walk and jump and all these fun things. I was also able to volunteer at a deaf, well, at a handicapped center, and I translate English classes into American Sign Language and was able to teach deaf people how to read and write in English. And then I also was able to build a relationship with a deaf family there and begin to share about our Lord Jesus Christ with them. And so uh, since then, or through all of this, God has started to tug on my heart. And since then, uh, I have gotten my team with LD teams, or lived at teams with the AG. They focus on one UPG, an unreached people group. My team is the first team to have a focus on two, the Bambara and also the deaf people of Mali. Uh, I'm in the process of applying to be to start the first deaf outreach ministry in all of Africa with the Assemblies of God. And the best part to me is in the process of all this, God has begun sending workers who have a calling to work with deaf people in Africa to join our team. So I'm so excited to see what God's going to do. And without telling y'all more, here's a cool little video I made to show y'all a little bit about my year. You are not hidden There's never been a moment You were forgotten You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper I hear you whisper on 
It's so cute. <laughs> Now, if you know anything about me, I can talk about Africa forever. But at some point, we have to learn something. So if you want, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to John 6, 1 through 14. And if you're taking notes today, this sermon will be titled, Ministry Jesus' Way. John 6, 1 through 14. Let me know when you're there. Okay, so John 6, 1 through 14 is the verse, or the passage where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for, him, for he himself knew what he were to do. Philip answered him, 200 denaro worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but where are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten until they were full, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the leftover five barley loaves by, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. 
Father God, Lord, we thank you for this time that we could come and enter into your presence, Lord. We praise you for your spirit that is alive and at work in this place. Lord, I pray for these words that I'm about to speak, O God. Lord, I pray that they would be your words and not my own. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would go forth and bear much fruit, Lord, that you would move in the hearts and lives of your people today. In your holy son's name, amen. Amen. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to establish something pretty simple, but it's something that the church has a hard time grabbing onto. Uh, if you look in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, it says, Jesus, undeterred, went ahead and gave his charge. God, gave, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, near and far, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This instruct, then instruct them in the practices of all I have commanded you. I will be with you to do this day after day after day, right up until the end of time. Your job as a child of God is to show who God is. You know, I love the illustration of the light, being a light, because all things are attracted to light. I mean, if you think about it, bug zappers. If bugs were not attracted to light, they would not be nearly as effective. And just like bug zappers, we are called to be bug zappers for the kingdom. We are called to live a life that other people are, that other people gravitates towards us. (laughs) So, and that light that I'm talking about is what I'm going to consider your ministry. You know, as a part of the church, we all have a ministry. God has placed you where you are in your life, in your neighborhood, in your work, in your kids' lives, and even in your church to do something. And so, before we get too far into this, I want to make sure that everyone realizes that they have a ministry that they are a part of, whether they realize it or not. So, we're going to be looking at three things that Jesus did throughout his ministry uh, that completely changed the way I think. When I was in Africa, I got into studying missiology. And missiology is the study typically of Christian missions and the methods and practices that they use. And through that, I decided to study Jesus's ministry because I don't think you can get better than Jesus's ministry. (laughs) And so there were things that stuck out that I'm hoping to share with you all today. So the first thing that I realized is Jesus was worried about these people not eating. He was worried about their well-being. So let me tell you a story that happened while I was in Africa. I have a friend named Hamza. Hamza is 20 years old. He is currently going to school for Ara- or going to college for Arabic. He is a polyglot. For those of you that don't know what that means, it means he can speak a ton of languages. So he speaks English, French, Bambara, Arabic, German, Fulani, and a few others. He is way smarter than me <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, And so in Malian culture, they do not speak in a direct voice. They speak in a passive voice. So instead of saying, get me something, they say, won't you get me something? If you're anything like me, I absolutely hate passive voice. Altogether, I can't grasp the idea behind it. And so one day, he came over, and I was super busy. I had a lot of things to do. Have you ever had one of those days? You have everything planned out to the second. 
just so you can make sure that you get everything done and you have no room for interruptions. Well, I was having one of those days and I get a text from Hamza that said, I am outside of your house. Now, he did not ask to come over. He didn't give me a heads up, nothing. But I was like, okay, Gage, you're a big boy. You can handle this. And so after he had been at my house for over two hours, my to-do list still not getting done. And he was all sprawled out on my couch, because that's the Malian way. He looks at me and says, won't you cook me something to eat? <laughs> Let's just say at that point, I was not worried if he was hungry or not. <laughs> but you know, this miracle is recorded, the miracle of Jesus being the 5,000 is recorded in all four gospel accounts. And Luke mentions that on this occasion, Jesus actually was going to a deserted place to be alone. Yet the multitude followed him. Yet he was still compassionate and served the multitude with passion. Now, I cannot say that I served Hamza that day <laughs> with compassion or with passion. <laughs> but that was something that changed my mindset in that way, that Jesus was going out to be alone, yet he was still willing to be interrupted and still had compassion to those around him. There's a Bambara proverb that says, which means the, the kitchen is older than the mosque. I just thought that was neat with all the cooking expressions we were talking about. <laughs> the second thing that Jesus did was he lived life on life with the people. Did you know that most of Jesus' ministry took place outside of the synagogue, outside of the so-called church? My favorite thing about Jesus' ministry is that he loved on the leopards outside the city, people who society had deemed unclean and unworthy of love. He talked with a lady by the well who happened to be a prostitute, not worried about what others would say. He washed his disciples' feet, which was the lowliest job of jobs. Now, I didn't understand this until I lived in Africa, where you walk on red dirt roads all the time in flip-flops. But your feet get nasty. It took my feet two weeks of being in the States before they returned to their normal color. Yet he still washed the feet. He ate lunch with a tax collector who stole from everyone and was hated by everyone. That was Jesus' ministry. He invited those people into his life and spent time with them. Jesus knew that the only way these people would ever truly know his father is if they saw him in Jesus. The only way people today will ever truly know our father is if they see him in us. We have a world filled with people that think they knew, know who our God is. They think he is a God who is hateful because, he see, because they see us being hateful. They think he is a God who won't accept them because we won't accept them. Jesus' Jesus's ministry was, come get to know me and I will show you who the Father is. The magnitude kept coming after Jesus because they saw, they continued to saw they continued to see, that word, <laughs> they continued to see the things that he habitually did with the people. There's a Bambara proverb that says, which means sitting doesn't end your butt, looking doesn't break your eye. <laughs> sitting 
and spending time with people won't hurt you. <laughs> in Malian culture, when you spend time with people, most of the time it is done outside in the shade, making, drinking tea, or, and sitting in whatever they can find you to sit on. And sometimes, in Malian culture, it took me a while to get used to, but you will see men holding hands walking down the road, and you'll see them sitting in each other's laps. So sometimes they'll ask you to sit in their lap, and that's when you say, no. <laughs> but they'll have you sit in whatever they can find for you to sit in. And when you walk down the road, you'll see countless groups of people just drinking and having tea together. My team found that one of the most effective ways of reaching the Bambara people is spending time with them, doing what they do. Whether that's drinking tea with them, washing clothes, cooking with them, eating with them, they love to eat, praise the Lord, <laughs> or just walking. And in the process, looking for every opportunity to share who God is. And the last thing that I see that Jesus did was he felt, filled the felt needs of the people. Now, I was trained in the Western church. And the Western church is amazing at so many different things. But like all things, it does have its flaws. So I was trained on how to start programs in the church, how to plan events for the community, and how to make people feel wanted when they came through the doors. I was never taught how to fill felt needs. Now, a felt need is what missionaries look for when they come into a new place. It's basically an open door to share what you believe with people while giving them something that they need. And so at this point, me and Hamza had been hanging out for about three months. And I was praying, God, show me a way that I can share you with him in a way that he will understand. Because my point of view is completely different than his point of view. And so one day, Hamza came up to me, and he said, Yero, because that's my African name. He said, can you swim? And I was like, yeah, who can't swim? Like, what type of a question is that? And he looked at me, he's like, I can't swim. And I was like, oh, a lot of people can't swim. That's, that's OK. <laughs> it's OK. <laughs> and he asked me, he said, can you teach me how to swim? And I was like, sure, why not? So when I was teaching him how to swim, I would look for every opportunity to share with him a Bible verse, a passage, an uh, idea, anything. And after the first time, he would actually come and ask me questions. And a lot of the times, his questions were over my head, like, what's the theory of the Bible being translated? And what's the canonization of the Bible? And what is the Trinity? You do not know how hard it is to explain the Trinity to someone who has never grown up into the church until you have to, let me say. And so we talked about so many different things. And after about three or four swimming classes, he looked at me and said, I know Allah sent you to me because I prayed that he would send me someone to teach me how to swim, and he sent me you. And if I'm being 100% transparent, in the beginning, I did not want to teach Hamza how to swim. I didn't want to fail him. I didn't want to be burdened. I wasn't sure what all it took to teach someone how to swim, and he is a 20-year-old dude who's bigger than me. So that <laughs> posed its own obstacles. Uh, but I finally got over myself and said, okay, sure. And when Jesus filled a felt need that the people had, they knew who sent him. Little did I know that silly, some silly-to-me swimming lessons would be the very instrument that God decided to use to show Humza who sent me. You know, Philip thought in terms of money and how much money it would take to carry out God's work in a small way, that every one of them may get a little. 
We often limit God the same way, looking for how God's work can be done in the smallest of ways, when Jesus wanted to be used completely different and provide in a big way. Now, I love how Philip responds to Jesus because I can put myself in Philip's shoes. I believe 100% that Philip did not want to feed the people, that he was scared that they wouldn't have enough. He didn't know how to feed 5,000 people. He was unsure on how to do it. Now, I can't blame Philip. He was probably tired. I mean, it's hot in that part of the world. He was walking a lot. He probably just wanted to get to his bed for the night. Now, some of y'all are thinking, Gage, why would you say that about precious Philip? And the reason I say that is because I have been there too. I mean, there's something I don't want to do. I oversize it. I dramatize it. And I make it look like too much work. But you know what's even sadder? That that's what the church does as a whole. We as the church, as the body of Christ, do this. We see all the hungry, all the homeless, all the orphans, all the widows, all the hurting, all the broken. And instead of going after them, we stay where we are in our pews because it's too big of a job for little old me to do. And nothing changes. In closing, I want to leave you with one last Bambara proverb. Uh, Doni doni kononi be nagada, which means little by little the bird builds its nest. I want to challenge you to follow the example set by Jesus and leave the 99, which is easy, to follow the one, which is hard, and to build God's kingdom little by little. And they will know who sent you. Thank you all.